Yeah, I mean, I I would say that we're very collaborative, and sometimes we're very collaborative even pre-acquisition. So it's not unusual for us to get on the phone with an author um, before we consider making an offer and um, talking out some ideas, doing some brainstorming together. Um. This is You May Contribute a Verse. I'm Brenna Jennerette, kidlit author, mom, rock climber, and co-host of this podcast. Duh. I'm joined by my co-host, kidlit author, dad, and science communicator, Josh Munkin, and our assistant editor, John Seymour an author-illustrator, family man, and senior informatics analyst. And that was our guest for today, Allison Weiss, acquisitions editor at Pixel and Inc., talking about collaboration, something I think encompasses her whole aim on Twitter. Allison is famous there, at least among kidlet writers, for her Ask Kidlet hashtag, where she opens up her feed and DMs to answer any and all publishing questions, because transparency and making this business a bit more collaborative is the name of her game. We also talk about ingredients for a good series, transmedia potential. I didn't know what that meant either, but don't worry, she'll explain it in the show. And how a good character can jump formats. Speaking of collaboration, if you're looking for affordable and inclusive educational sessions to up your writing game, check out Justin Cologne and the Kidlit Hive. Justin offers everything from individual panels and webinars to multi-week classes, each one chock full of agents, editors, authors, and illustrators from across the kidlit world. Coming up on March 16th is Dissecting the Frog, Oh No, We're Going to Try to Analyze Humor with The Adam Rex. I don't know about you, but I never miss a chance to hear the master speak. Want more Allison Weiss in your life? Her webinar on unpacking the PNL is coming up on March 23rd. Product and law statements, what do they even mean? Allison will break it all down for you. Justin's classes are the bee's knees, Check them out at kidlithive.com. And now, back to our verse with Allison Weiss. Justin just asked me to do, um, he's launching this like new yes, class the and everything. Yes. So he just asked me to like teach a webinar for him <sighs> next year. And he's like, could you do a webinar on this topic? And I was like, um, um, Okay. <laughs> What what's the topic? Can you reveal it to us, or is it like um, I'm hush? doing an hour and a half talk on profit and loss statements? Oh, for real? Wow! Oh. Of all the things, you know what though? I I mean, yeah, that's really interesting because we I mean, people talk a lot about just the transparency of the business, right? Like you just you're just so in the dark until until you like break through, right? And then you have a little more information, but like still not a lot. So I could see how that would be really enlightening. We're, we're going to talk about what goes into that. I mean, I have to be general because a lot of it's um, proprietary, but um, you know, the, the things that go into them and like how we come to these numbers and I don't know. Well, it's, I mean, it's not I, real. It's all magic. It's We're all, all making up, up things. You but... put, yeah, you put numbers in different places and hope for the best. But how how, how involved? It could be a in whole PNL... different webinar if you do yeah, if you right. went the magic route. Sorry, Josh. I just no, you're fine. Just but how like the ways it could be spun? Yeah how how involved in PNL stuff are you? Very. Very. That subverts my expectations because it's not like the company PNL. It's like the PNL for every book. So I have to you know figure out all of the. I have to kind of make all those those uh, guesstimates and and assessments and um, on 
you know, how many copies I think we can sell and what are the comp titles that go with it and how do I justify this and what do we think it's going to cost to produce it? And um, so, yeah, it's it's a big part of the acquisition process. Do you do you as an editor have access to even ballpark P&L stuff for comp titles? Like, do you have access to look stuff like that up? So you I can mean, anticipate? I have access to BookScan. So I can go to BookScan and, and look up what's there. Um, I have access to um, the numbers for my company. So, you know, any books that I'm using that we've published, I can get actual numbers on. Um, and I usually ask agents, you know, if, if somebody has track, I'm, I'm like, can you get me their real numbers? And then they can go to sometimes go to the publisher and get or they have the um, the royalty statements, which have the numbers. So um, oh, we can get. They might not be like the perfect numbers, but they're you know close enough that that it works. So I know I know it works differently in every in every publishing company. So are you like? Do you have to then take your numbers like somewhere else? Like, do you present them to like acquisitions or something, or are you part of acquisitions? Like, how is how does that work in the hierarchy at Pixel and Inc.? So the way it works currently um, is that if I've gotten approval to take something to acquisitions, it's just um, my boss, who's our editor-in-chief and our managing director, um, and we're, we go through it together. And if my managing director gives the okay, he's, you know, he's adjusting numbers and, you know, probing, how did you come to this? And, um, you know... I think you're being too aggressive here. And this, you know, is there a market for this? Um, But once he gives me the okay, and usually, you know, we come in with a number and he's like, this is the number you're authorized to. Um, So once he gives an okay, then, you know, I can go do offer magic. And, you know, at that point, we're also being strategic. But but. You ever go in there just indignant, just be like, you do this math. I didn't go into no. publishing. Because <laughs> I wouldn't get yes. <laughs> yeah, right. Allison's just like, no, no, we don't, Josh. That's that's very uncool. <laughs> I mean, sometimes, you know, we're thinking about, because it's not just thinking about like, oh, I want to publish this book. It's like, especially, well, for Pixel, all we do is series. So it's not just one book either. It's, you know, we have to think about a strategy for a series. Um, so sometimes we'll go in kind of thinking about, one publishing series, you know, plan in terms of scheduling. And um, somebody will say, well, have you, you know, maybe we should do it this way. And I'll sit there and be like, well, I can see why you would want to do that. But then we can't publish it as soon because, you know, that would require massive amounts of work on the author's part. And I don't know if, you know, that's really feasible um, so maybe we could do this, which is a compromise. <laughs> and, um, you know, it's kind of a lot of, we care about the strategy there too, but it sometimes it's a little bit, you know, maybe cart before horse. Um, but, you know, we definitely have a discussion. It's not just a do this, here's the number. It's to make that a little I bit mean, to make, more collaborative. Yeah. To make that like more, uh, a, a realer example or one that I, I can sort of like envision. Is that is that a, a lot about publication timing, placement in certain places? How much work? Yeah. I mean, you, you mentioned the, the the amount of work that an author has to do beforehand. Other sort of like transmedia approaches. 
to make it successful, that sort of thing? Um, I think it's the timing thing is kind of for us often about the audience or, or how we think um, we can make the most bang for our buck out of of a season or a situation. For instance, I have um, a chapter book series that's coming out next summer um, that I can talk about because it's announced. It's called um, Shiver by the Sea. Um, and it's a kind of a beach town, a kind of rundown beach town um, where the main character comes to move there and she finds out that there are, there are monsters that are living in this town. Um, and as she helps each of the monsters in, in each book – um, a little bit of the town's magic kind of comes back. Um, and for a chapter book series, because they're very, they're very thin, um, and the, the bang for your buck on it, your audience is usually about seven to nine. So you don't have them for very long and they just want to like gobble books down. So for chapter book series, we often launch with two books. Um, but I also, it's monsters, so I want to capitalize on on Halloween. Um, but Halloween books actually have to come out in August, so you know we have to strategize. Um, okay, this has to come out in August. We want to launch with two because the kids are going to want the next one. They're not going to want to wait, but also they're not going to want to wait a year for a third book. So you know, how many books are we going to buy now to keep up on a publishing plan? Can the author? write that fast? Can we get an illustrator to illustrate that fast? Um, so these are kind of all the kind of different moving parts that we're, we're thinking about as, as we're going into something like That's that. That's fascinating. So I, I hear that. I didn't hear that as a, like a Halloween play originally. I, I was like, oh, this is Prin- Princess in Black meets Steven Universe. <laughs> <laughs> um, when, I was, when I was in second grade, when I was perfect chapter book age, um, there was a series that launched called the Bailey School Kids. Um, my, I think the first one is um, Vampires Don't Wear Polka Dots. Um, and um, so I had, I like went back to that when I was starting to consider the submission and then realized that that launched when I was in second grade and I felt very, very old. So. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I saw recently they they have been re-releasing the Boxcar Children, and that's what I like devoured as a kid when I was that age. So that's even like that's even like further back because those have been those have been out like forever. But um, I wanted to ask though. So it's it seems like such an interesting, or maybe not interesting, but there's a lot of moving parts in terms of buying a series. So. I don't know any other publications out there or any other publishing houses that just do series. Do you do you know any others that do exclusive series just like you guys do? Um, I don't know anybody who's doing exclusive series, but um, you know, most publishers have definitely are doing their fill of series among standalones. Um, and for us, um, the reason that we are series exclusive is because of that additional transmedia piece for us. Um, so, oh, okay. I, that was actually the root of that question. Thank you for answering that because I was going to be like, why, why only series? Like, why not, why not stand alone? Yeah. So, um, so everything that Pixel and Ink publishes is series with transmedia potential, which the 
simplest way to to break that down um, is that we're looking for properties that we feel really strongly can make the jump to TV and film. And we're not just developing the books, we're developing the properties as a whole. So um, we are actively um, shopping film and, and looking for film partners. And TrustBridge, our, our parent company, actually just launched their own um, production company. Um, and so that's factoring in now too. Um, so um, the series piece of it is that we need to make sure there's enough content to sustain you know, if it's a preschool property, you know, 30 episodes in a season. Um, so there has to be a lot of story to tell. Um, and the author's not going to do like a George R.R. R. Martin and Peter out before the series. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's fascinating. Do you do you engage with authors with the expectation that you, you or someone at Pixel and Inc. will end up shopping it around or developing it for TV? Yeah, we have... Um, we have really, really fantastic subsidiary rights team, um, and they are always hustling. So they hustle for us for audio, for film, um, for translation, um, and other 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 opportunities as well. Um, but they they work really hard and they work really closely with us, and and that's another thing that I really value about Pixel that is maybe a little bit different than um, some other publishers. I can't speak, you know, definitively on that. But at other places I've been, you know, Subrights usually gets the materials, you know, the book's done and it's like, oh, or almost done. Oh, here's here here are the files. Um, and I'm very lucky that my head of Subrights um, is very involved from the start. So she comes to our editorial meetings and she reads content she gives us feedback. She knows what's going on basically at every stage of development. Um, and the reason that I value it so much is because she can give me insight really early on. Um, you know, if if the kids are playing, you know, baseball, that's going to make it really hard for this to sell internationally. Mm-hmm. Um, would you consider it not being baseball? And, you know, it's not that we have to change it at that point, but at least then we can go in with an informed decision um, and have that conversation. And, you know, sometimes it's worth changing it and sometimes it's not. Um, mm. But, you know, if it's a silly small thing that doesn't really matter, but it makes the difference for a sale, then I personally think it's worth, you know, at least thinking about it. Is there, have you ever run into a situation where you, you are pitched a story and you feel like it would make a great series and, you know, the author has plenty of ideas, but for whatever reason, it doesn't always apply to, like, it wouldn't adapt well to other media forms? Um, sure. I mean, we, for, for my end of Pixel, um, I'm doing, everything I do is author-driven, so it's the authors coming up with the project and I'm looking at either full manuscript or at least a proposal with sample pages. Um, but I definitely read projects that I think are great projects, um, even would be a good series, but I have trouble thinking about how the film market would take it or how they would adapt it or, um, you know, when we're thinking about something that's going to need a lot of CGI or like very heavy costume budget, you know, for like a historical 
Um, it's not that they aren't adaptable, but I, you know, those are going to be very expensive to adapt. Um, and so that's something that we'll sometimes thinking about, um, on the younger end, you know, there are really great series that, um, I call them kind of like, like if you give a mouse a cookie is a, is a fantastic series in that, um, Laura Numeroff has been able to do a ton, um, with that concept, but, and, and that's even been turned into a TV show as just that book. But, um, if you were to take the concept of what she's done with a lot of these books, like the concept is kind of the same. So you have to be a little bit more creative about, um, how you turn that into a, a, a franchise. So we tend to not do books that are kind of like that, where it's the same concept, but, um, just kind of a different iteration. Um, we tend to do every book is kind of its own story and gives another kind of window into the world. If you came across one like that, would, would that like, is that something you would consider doing like an R and R for if an author had like this great idea, but you were like, you know, like show me something different or like show me what you can do in terms of like serious potential. Yeah. I mean, I, I would say that we're very collaborative and sometimes we're very collaborative, even pre-acquisition. So it's not unusual for us to get on the phone with an author um, before we consider making an offer and um, talking out some ideas, doing some brainstorming together, um, sometimes even brainstorming what future books might look like. Um, And then, you know, sometimes I will ask for a little bit of additional work. Um, You know, it might be, can you sit down and write me some character profiles or can you write down you know, four ideas for what future books would be, you know, very brief, but four ideas. Um, I don't tend to make authors do massive rewrites for me um, pre-acquisition because at that point I've gotten a pretty good sense of whether we are gelling, whether um, I think they're capable of doing it or not. Um, Yeah. But we do do kind of a lot of a lot more melding um, and molding with an author than um, I think some some people choose to do. Well, in that sense, is there ever a case where authors just want to write a book? Like, does Pixel and Ink, does, does that model scare off some authors that don't? Yeah, write? I mean, I think, I think that there are folks who just want to have more control um, mm-hmm. than we can always feel comfortable giving. Um, you know, it's a lot to to ask that you're trusting this entity to kind of control this book baby of yours. Um, and so we always say that there, there are people who this will work for and there are people who who won't feel comfortable with it. And we, we respect that. And that's one of the great things about publishing um, that it's not just, you know, one shop. You know, there are lots of, different um kind of situations for for different people um and you know we we really care about author care we really want to be a good home but we we recognize that people have different needs um and what we need might not mesh with what somebody else needs if you don't want to make a deal for (laughs) 70 episodes uh, and three (laughs) spinoffs on disney plus you know, yeah, right. you. <laughs> I, I'm good. I'm good. I'll just, I'm going to walk away. Yeah. <laughs> Look, I just want to publish a book. Yeah. Right. I just, I just wanted the one. 
<laughs> sometimes, you know, some, but sometimes it happens. And also sometimes, you know, a book, not everything has to be a series. I mean, sometimes a book just yeah. is really good as a standalone. And I don't, it's my personal editorial philosophy. It's not my book. It's the author's book. And I don't want it to be mushed to something that's not what the author wants their their project to be. It's time for this week's book reviews. Josh's review is for The Creature of Habit by Jennifer E. Smith, illustrated by Leo Espinosa. He likes pineapples and bananas and saying hello to very specific things. He likes brushing his teeth and going to bed at the same time. And for the big creature living on the island of habit, this is all perfectly fine until a free-spirited small creature comes ashore. Turns out you can say hi to clouds too, and sometimes you can stay up late. This is a great, fun, colorful look at what it means to break out of your routine once in a while. We spend lots of time building predictable and stable routines for our kids and defining the ways those routines can be changed from time to time without upending the whole pineapple cart. It's something this book does very well. Shout out to the two tooth toothbrush, Josh's favorite bit of detail. Fantastic read. From John Seymour, our assistant editor, this is the boat that Ben built by Jen Lynn Bailey, illustrated by Maggie Zeng. Ben built a boat. Now he is able to explore the natural wonders of the forest alongside the different species that inhabit the Northern River ecosystem. From fish to bears, geese to loons, there's so much to see as you take a ride with Ben on the boat he built. Just make sure not to startle the heron. A clever stem-based twist on the classic The House That Jap Built Nursery Rhyme. The story's flowing words, gorgeous imagery, and well-crafted back matter all come together to make a completely enthralling package that everyone will enjoy. And this week, I reviewed Worm and Caterpillar Are Friends by our podcast friend, author-illustrator, Kaz Widness. My five-year-old was hooked from the start. It starts out with a sweet friendship, but then the inevitable change that all friendships go through, especially one if you're a caterpillar, and finally, the promise to love each other anyway. Between this, Kaz's signature rich, deep-colored illustrations, and the life cycle back matter, Worm and Caterpillar is a new staple at our house. Check out the show notes for the links to the authors and illustrators and where to buy the books. And make sure to get your own library reviews or requests in. They're the number one thing that can help an author's sales. And before we get back to our show, here's this week's community shoutouts. Two from our podcast friend, Audrey Perot. A huge celebratory shout out to Kidla creator Chloe Ward for the announcement of her debut picture book, Love Grows Here. Beauty grows wherever you are, Chloe. And in one month, the world will get to experience the gift of Malcolm Newsom's beautifully important Dear Star Baby, illustrated by Kamala Nair. And I could not be more excited. What a gift this book is for so many. Counting down with you to your debut, my friend. And two shout outs from the awesome Chloe Ward. Malcolm Newsom's beautiful book, Dear Star Baby is out April 4th, and I'm so thankful that he wrote this beautiful book. It's a gift to families navigating miscarriage and grief. He also wrote an article in the spring 2022 SCBWI Illinois Prairie Wind Newsletter, writing about death and loss for children that moved me to tears. So shout out to Malcolm for taking on tough topics and making them accessible to kids. Chloe also wanted to shout out Ebony Lynn Mudd for being the Kidlet World's cheerleader and for her awesome course, how to use hip-hop music to level up your picture book voice, which has helped me polish my first spread of a new lyrical picture book. Ebony is the queen of voice. Thanks for sharing your knowledge and talent. Have your own community shout-out? Click our community shout-out link and email the shout-out to verseshowpod at gmail.com and we'll get it on the next episode. 
Thanks to Audrey and Chloe for making the Kidlit Joy Bubble a little bit bigger this week. And now back to our show. What what are like some good um like just I know this is probably like a harder question to answer than I intended to be, but like what are what are some things that you see that make a book like good for a series or that it it could lend itself well to a series other than, you know, other ideas obviously. <laughs> Our definition of series is kind of broad, um, so we we approach it kind of different ways. So I think in that respect, it it really depends on the kind of series we're talking about. Um, so um, I think character is always really, really important. Um, you know, on the younger end, a lot of our, our picture book series um, are very character driven. So you need to have a compelling character. Um, you have to have somebody that you want to follow along from book to book to book. Um, you know, for the the film part of what we do, you need a really solid story um, that can be told um, in a clear enough manner that, you know, can translate. And that's not always easy. Um for us, we're very commercial. Um, I think that doesn't mean that the right the quality of the writing is not excellent. Um, but you know, there are beautiful lyrical books that their storytelling approach is is probably not quite linear enough um, mm. to to work for what we're doing. Um, you know, for for us, for what we do, um, we're really looking for really a solid hook. And that can be something in um, a series arc space um, where, you know, looking, we don't do YA, but looking at something like The Hunger Games are Divergent, there's a really clear arc that's being developed across that. And, you know, there are pieces of that that are, you lay the groundwork for in book one, and you need to keep um, going to get them. Um, and we certainly have a few series like that. Um, but uh, there are also uh, what I like to call the standalone that spawns a series. Um, and I usually point to our um, The Great Peach Experiment for that, where it's a book that would be great as a standalone. Like it's the family is wonderful. The story is fun. And there's also a lot of heart and um, emotion that you wouldn't expect. Um, but we love the characters so much that we want to go on more adventures with them. And so um, there's enough within their world that there's more interesting things you want to explore. Um, and so that world building is super important. Um, and it doesn't need to be like the sci-fi sense of, of world building where um, you basically have to like invent everything it can be literally building the parameters of our world Um, (laughs) but there has to be compelling content Mm -hmm. i think about that concept in terms i don't know i don't know for a fact that this is how it was developed in in star wars concepts to use the sci-fi trope where it's like you know first movie a new hope wraps up their particular story um you go on from there because there's a lot more to explore but uh but it's one encapsulated kind of adventure yeah, no, it could go either way, right? Like it's very, it's good, like on its own, but then it has all these offshoots that are possible yeah. that didn't need to really be put in. Yeah, and I think I think that's one of the things that's also kind of exciting about what we're doing with with 
these series, you know, we can do something that is, you know, a closed off arc. And then if it's super popular, we can figure out a way to do a spinoff um, and and go that, that Star Wars model where we just get to keep on finding other ways to explore even more. Without doing the prequels. <laughs> <laughs> I love a good prequel. Those are fun. I would be down for that. Picture book prequel. Has it been done? I don't know. Prequels. <laughs> I love this. I love, well, I've said that super jokingly, but I love the notion of doing picture book prequels of a chapter book series where, you know, it's like Muppet <gasps> Baby style. They're so, so much younger. Wouldn't that be fun? That would be so fun. Well, I really love these kind of format changes that we're seeing more and more now where something will start um, maybe in a picture book space and then it jumps to chapter book. Um, so, um, I've really been fascinated with watching, um, like the Ada Twist, um, franchise growing because those started so wonderfully in that picture book space. And then they moved to chapter books and now we have the TV show and I just saw that it like just won an Emmy. So. Oh, wow. I didn't know any of that about Ada Twist. Wow. Awesome. Yeah, and this is to say, you know, in reaction to your point about Pixel and Ink being a commercial house, that does not preclude award eligibility yeah. and high quality work and, you know, all, all of that, you know, the, the work having meaning in itself. I, uh, I love this notion because I, I, I put on uh, out on Twitter a couple months ago, this notion of where, where, where do those sorts of overlaps exist between, between genres? Because um, I think, there are points in lots of kids' lives where they are straddling age books. And one night they may be Absolutely. reading a picture book. The other night they may be reading a chapter book. And it would be fun to explore. And I, 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 have, I have a concept for which I've written a picture book that I would love to jump into a chapter book myself. I, I'm, I try to be as cognizant as possible in the context of having lots of conversations like these about whether or not something is feasible to pursue before I pursue it this notion of is a series possible to publish in picture book format and then jump to chapter book. Um, I, I love that. I love that for my kids. I love that for other, um, other, other people's kids and just the reality of how flexible properties can be. Yeah. And I think, I mean, publishers for a long time have taken picture books and then when the picture book, picture book has been successful, moved them down to board book. Um, but I mean, I think there's also something to be said for for the fact that kids get attached to a character and they don't necessarily want to let them go. Um, and yet, if you're moving, let's say, from the, the picture book to the chapter book space, um, whether it should be this way or not, um, and I think it should not be, um, but, you know, I think there's a, a level of shame that sometimes comes with kids that they, they still want to kind of cling to things that maybe the friends think is too babyish. Mm. Um, and it's, it's interesting and exciting to think about how we might um, be able to provide content that benefits authors, um, but also kind of fills that, that kind of intrinsic need in kids to, to have something that's um, comfortable and, and comforting and that they just have a confidence in because they're familiar with it. Um, so I don't know. That's something that I 
think about a lot and um, hopefully in the years to come, I'll get to explore more in the industry and expand on. Yeah, totally. My gosh, my brain is like spinning with all of these ideas now, like a prequel and like doing from like board book to to picture book to chapter book, right? Like this character that just everybody loves and they grow up together. And it's like, I could see how that could be really great for kids, you know, to jump in at any level and then have this character that they already know and sort of follow along with. Do the transmedia thoughts go beyond, and I'm placing my preconceived notions before this conversation on, <laughs> on this question, do the transmedia um, expectations go beyond TV and film? My transmedia frame of reference is things like, you know, alternate reality gaming and, web, you know, web properties, interactive media, that sort of thing. I, I totally think they could. Um, you know, when we're talking about media, like that can be anything from plushies um, and and other kinds of merch to um, we're having this amazing kind of surgeons in what is happening in the digital space and um, whether that is um, games or some kind of app format that we don't even know what it is yet um, but is certainly you know somebody, in some corner of the world is like working on something that, you know, is going to take the the industry by storm, you know, in the next five to 10 years. Um, so I, I talk TV film cause that's the easy way to boil it down, but mm. you know, what, what that transmedia could be is, you know, really only limited by, I guess, imagination of, of what the formats can be. And support from the business, I guess, to pursue those ideas and invest them in them for sure. Yeah. 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 It makes me think of models like, like PBS kids that starts from a different area than pixel and ink. But, you know, a few years ago when my kids were more into PBS kids, you get into shows like Molly, Molly of Denali that starts as, yeah. as a TV show. Hey, you go to the library and you get all these, you know, relatively affordable IP um, books that you can consume. There are games to play on their, you know, little Chromebooks and all that sort of thing. But that's mm-hmm. that's like a more complete picture of uh, of, of pursuing. This puts it crassly, but uh, pursuing like ringing ringing an IP of every bit of value that it it can derive. Yeah, I mean, so my our editor in chief Bethany Buck likes to kind of say that the audience for you know film TV say is not necessarily entirely the same audience as, as for the book. Um, and so what those, what the content for each needs to be, um, can be, and probably should be slightly different, um, because you're kind of feeding different audiences, but one feeds the other. So, you know, you get more readers because of the TV show. And in turn, Mm -hmm. you know, the books generate more, more viewers because, people are like, oh, I read that as a book. Like, I want to see how it's going to be adapted. And so that kind of all grows out your audience. Um, But also the IP thing is something that I wanted to think about um, a little bit too, because we're not doing IP in the sense that, um, you know, there's already a movie um, and we're doing the the books for that. Um, But we are... um, fairly recently um, moving into another segment of Pixel where we are doing IP development. So we're coming up with um, 
concepts um, for projects and then finding um, the right creative team to help get it into the world. Um, so now we're, we're on two tracks, which is really exciting because it uses kind of different parts of your brain. Um, and I don't really do the IP part of it, but I do get to kind of be involved in um, being a sounding board for some of the ideas, which, is, which has been fun. How, how does that work in terms of internal IP development? Are those are separate resources? And again, being clear that I put I put a corporate frame of reference on everything. <laughs> it's like headcount. <laughs> so we and, have oh, wow. um, a fantastic IP editor um, who's named Kate Egan, and um, so Kate um, is a writer herself, um, but she, and she also has a, a very deep um, publishing background and. Um, Kate comes up with an idea and then sits down and kind of starts thinking about um, how that could work in one plot and how that could work across books. And she kind of develops treatments um, depending on how deep we need to go with them. Um, and then um, once we decide that something's you know, ready to move forward and we get approval for it, then she goes and finds the right people to, to attach to it. That sounds like a really fun, like creative job, like trying to sort of, it's like you're working from the other end, right? Like trying to create these things that will then boost like a book or other, other pieces of it out into the world. It's sort of like a solutions based job, almost like you're trying to make it make it work for other stuff. It just sounds really fun, like a really creative. Yeah, I think I think what's really great about it is that if we see a hole in the market, you know, there there are things that have been on my wish list for, I don't know, like five, seven years. And I, you know, when I see something that somebody's trying to submit to to fill that need, you know, it's not quite right or it's sort of touches it, but it's not really what I want. Mm -hmm. Um and I can't do anything about that. You know, if I just sit here waiting for that uh, to just land in my inbox. Um, but if we see a hole in the market, um, there's something that's become really popular and there's not a lot of book content in that space. You know, we can make the books like we can we can make it happen. We can fill that need. Um, and so it's just kind of a different, different approach. Um, That's pretty cool. Have, can you think of an example from recently when you have seen like a gap in the market and you were like, that that's a thing we can do. Like, let's make those books. Um, I mean, there's a lot of IP that's done this way, whether, whether you know it's IP or not. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> but um, I'm not, I'm not sure if these were IP or not. Um, but if you, and I'm not going to name any particular books because they're, or a bunch that have done this, but like Americans especially get really obsessed about like the Royal weddings and, and oh, kind of oh, things okay. like that. And so out of that have spawned series and, and standalone books that are probably in truth taking kind of what we know as facts of some of, of the, the British royalties um, relationships and maybe shifting some things here or there to, to make it a little bit more sensational and make it a little bit more, mm -hmm. um, book fun. Um, 
but those are those are some some of that is IGP development and some of that is definitely people being like, oh, everybody's like royals obsessed. Let's generate and capitalize on that. Um, so Allison, how long have you been with Pixel and Ink? Because you you said you've had stuff on your wish list for like five to seven years, roughly. So it has to have been at least that so long. they're kind of I have two pixel dates. Um oh. so I actually started with Pixel on a freelance kind of consulting basis initially because um, Bethany and I had worked together at a previous company and she just needed an extra set of hands for um, the work she was doing at, at that point. Um, so I started in that capacity um, in February 2020 and then I came in full time the end of August 2020. So Depending on how we're gauging it, it, we're getting close to three years or like a little over, like maybe two and a, getting close to two and a half years. Okay. So you were in, you were in editing before Pixel and Ink somewhere yes. else. So I've been, I've been in publishing for about, for a little under 15 years. Um, and I've always been in children's. Um <laughs> But, you know, I've, I've seen a lot and I've, I've been through kind of a lot of different places and seen a lot of different ways that people do things. And um, I'm really lucky that I've always been at places that are a little bit startup. Um, so that has meant that I've gotten to learn a lot, not just about the editorial side, but um, kind of about all of the different bits of publishing, mm. um, which I think for me, really helps me be a better editor because I have a better sense of how workflow happens. Um, so I know the needs of different departments and can kind of anticipate those um, as I'm working um, to to better position my authors, I guess. How big is the editorial team? How big is the Pixel team? Mm-hmm. Or So Pixel, um, specifically... Specific to Pixel, we are three and a half editors, um, but we also share um, back office uh, with some of our sister companies with Holiday House and Peachtree. So um, even though our editorial team is is very small, um, we are part of kind of an entity that's probably about 60 people. Um, and I like to say that our publicity marketing team, we have like four different divisions and there are a ton of people who are all involved. Um, and everybody in the company is like, it's a very warm environment, um, in my experience and, and, um, everybody, even if they're not maybe day-to-day um, in touch with an author. Um, it's really exciting to see the production people get excited about a book or, or our head of contracts get excited. Um, it's very much like everybody kind of has some sense of what's going on, which is which I find very lovely. 
Yeah, right. Instead of being so isolated and just having one department do the one thing. Yeah, because then it's like, well, you don't understand like why why we're doing this. So you can't. Yeah, it, it helps when people know more about what's going on. Same from the author's point of view, I'm going to say, because like once you get into it and you understand more about like, oh, OK, I have to leave room for the illustrator and I have to make sure to be able to work with the editor. And like this is sort of what my agent wants this book to look like. It's kind of like working with all of those pieces and you understand more about what the big picture looks like as opposed to just like what your vision is or like what what you're trying to push through it's kind of a a group effort that's one of the things i really like about publishing it's kind of it is a very collaborative process um and it 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 i it really amazes me i i finished uh going through a revision of one of my author's books last week um and there were comments I made, jokes that I suggested that were, I don't know if I was being punchy or like I actually was (laughs) suggesting them. Um, It's a very funny book. So you you basically can do whatever you want with the humor. Um, And I, I was a little shocked, but also kind of gratified to see, you know, ridiculous things I suggested and suddenly they were in the text. Um, (laughs) But at the same time, there, there are things where, um, where my author would um, write something ridiculous, sure that I was going to be like, no, you can't do that. You have to cut it. And I was like, oh my God, that's amazing. Push it even more. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know what? I saw that tweet and I was like, that's awesome. That sounds so fun. I totally, I totally saw that back and forth on Twitter. And I was like, that's the kind of editor you want. Definitely. Like, I feel like that's, that is the kind of editor that I would want anyways. Like, okay, let's make this more crazy. Let's see how far we can go with this. That sounds like a lot yeah, of that, fun. That tracks based on my experience with you <laughs> and your writing, Brenna. <laughs> yeah, right. At the same time, somebody, so, sometimes you need to be reined in. <laughs> Not you in particular, because that's, that's, that, 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 that applies to me as well in my writing. <laughs> Josh and I are very good, um, well, very good or very bad critique partners for each other because we are very much on the same page about our our kind of humor. So it either go it either goes really really well or like really not well because when we show it to somebody else and they're like, "Ooh, I don't know, like maybe this was too far," and we're like, "What? This was hilarious! Like, what's happening? <laughs> too far? What is too our, far?" Yeah, our echo chamber right? didn't result in the perfect manuscript. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. Hello. <laughs> I did what I was supposed to do. I had it critiqued. Yeah, right. It's done. Do you, you said you share the, share the back office. Do you, with the other publishing branches of mm-hmm. uh, Trustbridge, uh, do, I presume you mean that literally and figuratively. You guys talk to each other and share ideas. Do you send ideas to each other? That sort so of it is, it is literal in the sense that Pixel Inc. shares office space with Holiday House. Mm. We are in the same physical space. Um, Peachtree is down in Atlanta. Um, so we are not physically with them. Um, but we do do, you know, plenty of company Zoom calls. And um, whether that's marketing calls or we have um, kind of kind of monthly um, kind of company meetings where we'll go over all kinds of things from, you know, numbers to um projects people just acquired that they're really excited about to like exciting news um we just had a holiday bake-off which was really fun um so we will share ideas um in the sense of you know sharing 
well, this is kind of an industry thing that's happening and maybe we should discuss it. Um, But editorially, the companies are entirely separate. So we don't, we don't really, I know what the other companies are publishing um, because of things like internal launch meetings and, and launch and sales presentations where I see what they're publishing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I hear about what's happening with their books, you know, as the reviews come in, cause they see everybody's reviews. Um, but, um, it's not really a, it's for the most part, you know, I get submissions, they get submissions. I have no idea what they're getting. They have no idea what I'm getting. Um, Every once in a while, there'll be a project that just feels more appropriate for one of the other houses, and we think maybe they should see this. Um, And then in those instances, I will often mention something to a colleague, and then um, if they're interested, I will be in touch with an agent, um, because those are usually agented. I guess I would be in touch with the author if it, if there, if it was not agented um, and say, hey, um, I don't think this is right for me, but my colleague might be interested in it. You should submit it to them. Um, but that is fairly rare, I'd say. Um, I have to think that the project's really, really great, but it's just not right for me. In which case, good agents, agents are probably shopping around yeah. and they understand those pathways to communication. Yeah. yeah. And- also, I will say, because we do get this question fairly frequently, um, we don't have a policy um, where you have to choose among us. So um, if an agent or author wants to submit to, to somebody at Holiday House and someone at Pixel and someone at Peachtree all at the same time, they're absolutely, I guess, and Candlewick on top of that, um, they're absolutely free to do that. Um and then if we all are clamoring for the same project, then then we figure it out. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, we, we don't, at least at that initial uh, submission stage, we're not making people choose. But I also think that our lists are also very different that, you know, if your project is going to all four of us, then you probably haven't fully done your research. <laughs> mm. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> Yeah, because I mean, yeah, I mean, the the three different publishing outfits that you all have have to have some sort of differentiation, some, I don't know how you put it necessarily, but like a vision statement, here's who we are, here's what we publish that should establish you as, you know, or establish you with your audience of agents and authors and illustrators as to what you can get from this, this house. Yeah, I mean, I think... I think over time, um, different publishers, different imprints kind of develop, they, they probably go in with that and they develop, um, some kind of sense of who they are. Um, sometimes I, you know, look, taking a, a wider view of it, you know, with, with editors, you know, moving around and, you know, the evolution of, of places over time, sometimes I wonder if, if those very clear dynamics, do start to sometimes get a little bit muddied. You know, going back to the pixel model, it's it's very easy for me to look at something that comes in and it's, you know, nonfiction. Well, I don't do nonfiction, so it's not right for me. Um, or mm. it's it's very clearly a standalone. And it doesn't have to come into me as a series. You know, it can come to into me as a stand uh, as a standalone, but somebody has ideas for future books. 
um, that's fine with me. But if something comes in and it is very clearly from the pitch, a standalone, it's very easy for me to go, well, I think this sounds great, but it's not going to work for me. If it comes in and it's YA, this sounds great, but I don't do YA, so it's not going to work for me. Mm. Um, And in some ways that's been a little bit freeing because it means that I can narrow my inbox a little bit. (laughs) Yeah. So if you, if you did pitch like a standalone book to you and you do have other ideas, would it just, is it just a matter of like adding that sentence? Like this is, you know, here's the pitch and I have, you know, ideas for further books. Is yeah, that I mean, like enough or do you usually have them pitch like those ideas like in the, in the pitch? I've been pretty flexible about how I do it. Um, so sometimes in the query letter, there's, you know, a line, um, I, you know, I have ideas for a sequel. I have ideas for future books. Um, sometimes, especially on the younger end, I will get a document with some of those other ideas included. Um, sometimes for, for picture books, I'll get a couple picture books at the same time. Oh, okay. Yeah, um, so I guess it just depends, huh? But I've also had um, projects where I've read the whole thing and I've been like, I really love this, but it's a standalone. Like, you know, I only do series publishing. And they're like, oh, no, 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 no. They have, they have series ideas. Or sometimes they're like, huh. And then they go off and think for a little bit. Like I said, I try to be flexible. There are projects where you look at it and you're like, no, that this really, it needs to be a standalone. There, there are mm-hmm. certain things that just, they don't really translate. The story's oh, yeah. done. That way. You can't drag yeah, it right. off. Yeah. I'm done. <laughs> it's fine. It's just, yeah, I can't work on those projects. Yeah, right. <laughs> Um, well, so Allison, we're heading up towards the hour and I know from your, your tweet on Twitter, I know you have a big day, so I don't want to take up too much more of your time, but before we let you go, I just wanted to mention really quick how much everybody that I know anyways loves Ask Kidlet. Like, it's so nice to have an editor that's just like willing to answer any questions and the fact that you're like, yeah, DM me. Like, if you feel like it's a question you don't want everybody to know about or whatever, I just... On behalf of like writers everywhere, I just, I very much appreciate it because it's the transparency and just the willingness and just, I mean, your time is so valuable. So thank you for putting that out there. People love it. Thank you for that. I I feel like publishing can be very scary and very opaque. Um, Yes. And (laughs) I guess my feeling about the whole thing is that publishers and, or editors and agents, we're, we're not scary. We're people like you. And if we can make all of it a little bit clearer that I think everybody is happier in the long run. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. This has been decidedly not scary. <laughs> yeah. Right. No, we, we had, <laughs> I mean, I very much enjoyed having you on today. Thank you so much for taking time out of your, out of your busy day. Thank you so much for having me. This has been so fun. So great. You may contribute a verse. Thanks for listening this week. Find out more about us and our guests and the artists behind our cover and theme music at our websites, verse.show, renagenerette.com, and joshmonkwords.com. See you next verse. Bye.